Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to Chris Angel Murphy, a queer, trans, non-binary, LGBTQ plus educator, activist, and consultant. Chris Angel also has their own podcast called Allyship is a Verb. And it probably won't surprise you to learn that this is one of the most meaningful and kindest conversations I have had on this show. I absolutely loved talking to Chris Angel about why The Perks of Being a Wallflower is the best book ever. Listeners, one quick note about the upcoming conversation. At one point in our talk, Chris Angel quotes the book and uses the F slur for gay men. That word is not used indiscriminately in the book. In fact, it happens once in a very important and very devastating scene that the author handled really well. Because the moment is so important to the story and the characters, Chris Angel and I decided not to bleep the word out of this podcast. That said, if the word triggers you, I understand completely, and I'd encourage you to maybe skip this episode. Or you can go read the transcript of this episode at my website, juliewroteabook.com, where I've X'd the word out. Take good care of your sweet self. I will see you back here next week, and I love you. Hello, Chris Angel. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm delighted to have you. And I want to start right off with, I know it's kind of a tacky American thing, but we're going to do it anyway, because I find your work fascinating. And I was wondering if you would tell my listeners what it is that you do. At this point, it's kind of like, what do I not do? <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I wonder how many other people might relate to this, but with the pandemic, so my background is actually in social work, but that completely burnt me out over the course of the pandemic. And obviously it's still going at the time mm -hmm. of this recording, but yeah, compassion fatigue and, and just like things becoming unearthed for myself that I needed to like focus on me more. So I actually created a business, um, started a business and quit my job, my social work job back in April um, earlier this year. And I'm just trying to like, see if I can make it work. But at this point, it's so far, I do LGBTQ plus consulting and educating. So like an organization might bring me in for, let's say, like three months to help them roll out pronouns or something like that in a very thoughtful way that includes training and, and strategic planning, things like that. Um, so that's one component. But then I also started a podcast and that was a few months after I launched my business. And that's been great for marketing, but also having more weight to what I'm sharing out. So it's called allyship as a verb. And the whole point is that it's intersectional LGBTQ plus allyship and just highlighting and amplifying all these different people with different lived experiences and backgrounds. And a lot of them say some of the same stuff, but a different way. But then you can also see how like not everyone needs the same support. Um, some people may need different support. And I think it helps prompt conversations. And so each guest episode um, ends with a tip and then also some like self-reflection questions for deepening the learning because I just nerd out on education and I love training. And then there's a Gumroad store, which has some digital downloads, things like an LGBTQ plus conference list. But then I also started an Etsy store actually at the same time as my podcast 
Now you see why I'm saying I just do too much. (laughs) And so the Etsy store started. And that's like trying to create these unique products that are affirming for the community because sometimes, you know, like here's some pride socks. Great. And then they fall apart in like two months or something because they weren't made well or something. So I've been more intentional. So for example, something I just launched was this really neat LGBTQ plus bookmark that actually looks like the old school checkout card process, but Mm. rather than under borrower's name, you know, having names and stuff instead, it's, well, sometimes it does actually have names, um, but it has milestones from our U S history in particular from like 1924 through 2009. And for date due, it's, the date that I'm aware of that this event took place. And, you know, I researched these things. And so that's been really neat. Um, So it just feels like very thoughtful, but then there's also, (laughs) I have like online courses that I'm very slowly rolling out. So I am so aware that I'm doing way too much and I'm even considering doing like a YouTube channel and stuff now, but I'm really just trying to see what works, what resonates and what feels good for me as far as, just helping people get the education that they need, especially when it comes to this community. So it's a big passion of mine and we'll see where that takes me. But yeah, that takes up pretty much all my time right now. Can you help me understand what you mean when you say companies want to roll out pronouns? You mean it's a bigger deal than an employee coming in saying, I want to be identified as they, them. Like it it actually has to be like a formal process instead of everybody just going they them that's a great question and i know that some people may feel that that's extreme even however it's something that i've done successfully at companies i've worked at as an employee as well as being what i've been cheekily calling gay for pay (laughs) um (laughs) which is funny because i actually identify as trans non-binary and queer, not necessarily gay, but sometimes like depending who I'm talking to, it just feels like something easier to say. Like people will be like, got it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think it is good because I mean, some of the back end of what that looks like is identifying, do you even have a culture that would adopt something like this? Do you have Mm. a culture in your workplace where you can give feedback and have open and honest conversations and say things like oops and ouch and talk about the oops and the ouch and have corrections made and things like that. And so then it usually also entails getting the buy-in from the LGBTQ plus community within that organization too, because sometimes they can have concerns like, what, are you going to make this mandatory now? Which I never do. And I have a reason for that. The reason being there, the people I care about the most in this conversation are the people who don't feel comfortable being out And so for whatever reason, they don't want to bring their quote unquote full self to work, then that can mean that if you do something like make pronouns mandatory, you're either going to make them double down on being misgendered or force them to come out. And either way, that's not good. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just encouraging that it's just highly encouraged and sharing the culture around that, what to do if you make mistakes, talking about what pronouns are, because Most of us have learned this in school long ago and we don't remember. And so just making it a safer learning environment. So usually then I'll go ahead and train like leadership first, because especially if they have employees they're responsible for, then they need to know what they're being held to, how to explain this to other people and how how to help create this culture shift, as well as then like almost like a town hall for all staff to say like, hey, here are the changes that are happening. Here's when they're happening. 
here's something that we want to bring to the company, you know, and l- let's talk about it. You could just tell people, hey, we're going to do this now. So put the pronouns in your email signature or start sharing it out in meetings. But again, this is a cultural thing people are adopting. There are some like rules and ways we might want to go about it. So I do think it's helpful to be more intentional and thoughtful to increase the likelihood of the adoption rates of, of people actually doing that and understanding the the why are we doing this, which is like one of the biggest challenges to tackle. Honestly, pronouns aren't even like the biggest thing to me, there's other things that are more important to me that feel more critical to my livelihood, like not having to debate with a doctor about whether I have a right to exist and have access to care, you know, things like that. So I'll actually be really excited when we're not talking about pronouns as much and it's just normalized and people understand. To me, it's like no different from, you know, I, I guess for those listening, you know, can you remember a time maybe that you wrote a cover letter? for a job. And maybe you just so happened to know that there was a person in particular you had to write and not like a, you know, to whom it may concern kind of thing. So you actually had a name, but you had no idea what their, their gender was. And so you're just guessing you're maybe Googling if you had that at the time and, you know, trying to figure out what, like a prefix, like which prefix to use. Right. And we didn't have a gender neutral prefix until more recently which is MX, which is pronounced like mix. So you'd Hmm. say like mix Murphy, but yeah, like, you know, so like, I think we can just look at prefixes and say, look, we've normalized that and sharing, you know, what our prefixes are. It's something we even may circle when we're filling out a form or things like that. So why can't we also just do pronouns too? I really just think it makes it safer for everyone because if we get caught in the trap of, oh, I'm looking at you and I know exactly who you are and how you want to be treated, we're going to get that wrong. We're going to get that really wrong. And we shouldn't make those assumptions. And so something I encourage folks to do, if you want a free tip today, folks, you know, figure out what your pronouns are. And if you feel comfortable sharing, you can just say that right after your name. So like for me, I say, hey, my name is Chris Angel. My pronouns are they, them. How about you? You know, and and always just role model it for other people too, because it can make it a safer space for folks to share. But when people do that, it makes all the difference for me because I feel really good. I feel like I'm being seen for who I am, but there's also so much more to me than that. So Chris Angel, were you always a reader? I think my gateway into that was <laughs> the fact that I was an only child. And early on in our education system, and this, maybe this is so like American of us, but I would get these free personal pan pizzas mm-hmm. based on right, like how much I read. And I lived for that. Um, <laughs> and I, I apologize in advance if anyone's going to be offended that I got pineapple ones or Hawaiian ones. No, that's the right way to do it. I Yeah. Thank you. I <laughs> see. I feel se- seen and heard and safe now <laughs> in this conversation. And so... Um, that that was a gateway into it. But, you know, I think, a, again, a combination of just being an only child, the personal pan pizzas that were free, and also having some really great teachers early on in elementary school who introduced me to books that were just phenomenal. I think all of that helped a great deal. And it was just fun because, you know, I'd beg my dad to take me to the library and I'd get like Animorphs or Goosebumps and I would never document which one I'd already read or not. Like, and I would just be trying to remember because there were so many (laughs) 
and I would probably get the same ones, but I didn't care because I just, yeah, it was like a nice escape. So you were really into the series when you were a kid. Yeah, I think it was easier because I knew what to expect to a degree. Mm. I knew like the author's style for the most part, and I knew that it would be a good journey. I think where things started changing drastically was when I was questioning who I was in high school as a freshman. I think there were a lot of things going on in my life at that point that were very confusing and concerning to me. And so once I jumped into like YA novels, like the book that we're discussing today, that was just such a different world for me. And I had a different purpose for reading. The childhood I had wasn't great and it was very sheltered. So even though I was going through big things like abuse, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And our family motto was what happens in this house stays in this house. And so that that's what it was like living with my dad and my grandma. Plus again, throw on poverty and all these other things. So by my freshman year, I I think it was just awkward being like the underdog again, right? And not knowing what I was doing and what it would be like, although I was also really excited about it. But yeah, then you start throwing in sexuality and I didn't even know to be questioning gender too at that point. But yeah, there were just these big things going on at home and I just couldn't figure out how to get through them. And because I couldn't talk to people, I had books. And so I was in the YA novel section trying to find books that addressed very big and serious things. So I read books like Go Ask Alice, um, that one comes to mind, or just, yeah, these really heavy topics because I was just trying to understand and study and dissect, like really go deep into research on how did these young people get through these things and come out okay on the other side because I need to figure that out for myself. And so then it was really hard because when I was in foster care, I found a teacher, I asked some some kids in the school, I asked them like kids that I'd known back from middle school. So I, I knew I could talk to them and I asked them like, Hey, you know, are there any teachers I can talk to about like if I have things going on at home or something? And resoundingly one name continued to pop up. And so I went to her and we're now lifelong friends and I'm so grateful for our friendship, but she helped me get into foster care. I then hated foster care, had horrible experience in foster care, but she was a common thread and always looked out for me. And I'll be forever grateful because her friendship has just been one of those that has just been very important to me. But what hurt is that the social workers went to my home, raided my books, and then flagged me for all of those things. So because I was reading books about people harming themselves or cutting themselves or starting fires and all of this stuff, they flagged me for all of that without engaging with me, without asking me about it, without getting like the fuller story of why I was reading those books. And it wasn't until like my second foster family that they were, that family started like telling me like, oh yeah, we're not supposed to like let you, you know, cook by yourself or all all these things. I was like, what? Like, and so I think I stopped reading for a while because I was just so hurt. And I felt like, again, I just wasn't being seen or understood for who I was. And so, yeah, I, I, there was a period of time I stopped reading, but now, um, you know, I, I think I've come back to 
trying to study and understand more and also escape a little bit. So now a lot of the books I read are about the LGBTQ plus community and people writing memoirs and things like that. So I think of JVN, like Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye, or like several of those folks um, from that show have written books now. And I mean, JVN's even on their second book. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm reading things like that because what's what's so neat and interesting about my community, especially when people really tap into it, is the language is evolving, the terms we use are evolving, the way that we might reclaim a word that has been used as a slur against us, you know, things like that. It's all just super fascinating to me. And so I'm just sort of absorbing all of that like a sponge. But YA novels will always have a special place in my heart. And I think those will always be my favorite forever. <laughs> I I have to say, I've never heard of books being weaponized like that as what happened to you. Do, do you do you feel like PTSD? Like if you pick up a sci-fi, does part of your brain go, oh my God, people are going to think I want to go to outer space or something? So back in the day, borders, rest in peace. Mm. When, again, when I was in that exploration stage of, of my freshman year, one of the biggest things we could do at that time was go hang out at the mall. That was kind of all we had. And so we usually would end up at the bookstore and sort of fool around and walk in there and look at the different things. And I was so fortunate we even had one. We would just have like a gay and lesbian section. And I think what was profoundly disappointing was that, you know, growing up, you'd hear in in my generation, I heard things like, you know, if this happens to you, this makes you gay. And just like this fixation on us being hypersexualized and that we're sexual deviants and that's all we are and that's all we could be. So I didn't see any trans representation, intersex, anything else, the rich acronyms and initialisms that we use today that very Instead, when I went, again, standing in front of the gay and lesbian section, rather than seeing people where, again, it was like memoirs or something, overwhelmingly, I saw like 365 like yoga positions for sex and, and things like that. And I was just like, really? Yeah. It's So it's evolved. It's evolved a great deal. And some bookstores are better than others on that. And, you know, now those books aren't as hidden, you know, sometimes you're seeing them in like the bestsellers and things like that. But I would be lying if I didn't admit right now that every time I go and buy an LGBTQ plus book, I'm a little bit worried, even though arguably, especially going to a library, it may be one of the safest places because sometimes that is one of the only safe spaces we can have. And sometimes they may even have some great recommendations, but you just never know. And so, yeah, the awkwardness of like maybe covering up the front, if it's like, again, quote unquote, obvious or something that it's like gay themed or whatever. But yeah, I I don't know if that will ever go away. Mm. And it's a shame, but, you know, for now, people can just like click a few things on the internet and get things delivered to their home. I don't think you have to worry as much, but yeah, I, I, stigma, shame, all of that. That's still, that's still like programmed in me and I'm not going to let it deter me anymore because again, reading has just given me so much, but yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I don't still get nervous sometimes about maybe even trying to read like in a, coffee shop or something like oh don't see what i'm reading mm. you know because i just 
I don't, I don't want to be attacked. I don't want to be made to feel like I'm a horrible person for reading this or, or anything like that. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of complicated. Do you remember when you first discovered this book that we're talking about today, The Perks of Being a Wallflower? I wish I could. I really wish that I could remember. I think it was part, in fact, I know it was before I went into foster care, which was later that freshman year, just as we were like getting ready to finish up our year, our academic year. But I think it was one of those books I had pulled just trying to figure my stuff out. And so it's not inherently about the LGBTQ plus community, although there are themes in it, um, but it just seemed like another cool YA novel. I was totally one of those people who judged a book by its cover. And I was like, this looks really neat and simple. And I don't know, there's just something about this that I'm gravitating toward. Can you describe the plot for my listeners who haven't come across this one? So the book is about Charlie. And he's writing these letters to someone we don't know. And it's about him just coming into himself and learning who he is. So it's your classic coming of age story, starting high school. And you're just really learning about the people that he's starting to meet and just, yeah, how he's opening up as a person and just what makes him unique that he's getting mirrored by from like the the people that he's surrounding himself with, which is really interesting. And part of it too is he's recognizing something that's happened to him and he's learning how to deal with it. And it's not easy at all, but he has really great people and a really great support system um, helping him through this thing that he's unearthing about himself and his past. Is this a book that you reread often? Oh my gosh, yes. So when we were setting all of this up, I was very excited to read it again. It's one of the books that the first version I had, I gave to a dear friend of mine because I felt like, and and her name is Sabrina, and I felt like she needed to just know who I was. And I thought that this book could help her better understand me as a person. And it was the same thing than when I gave it to my friend Havala. So those were the two first people actually that I gave a copy to. I've told people about it before. I don't always give a copy of it to someone now. I think it's interesting too. Like every time I read it, something else that I'm like, wait, did I like forget this part? Or like, is my mind blown right now? So can you tell me what it is that you connect to so much in this book? What is it that you love so much? I love like his friends and I love how they interact, probably romanticizing it a bit, but I, it's also just so quotable. So one of the quotes that I have been saying forever now, as a result of reading this book is we accept the love we think we deserve. And there's someone who says that to Charlie. And it's just one of those deep things that you really got to, sit with and let run over you. And if that isn't like a good tagline for my life right now, I don't know what is, you know, and, and also there's, they talk about the word infinite and this is really silly. I don't always share this with people because this isn't something that comes up naturally, but one of the things that was like fun and interesting about growing up on the internet when it was starting to come out was that 
everyone had like an AOL screen name, if not multiple screen names. And you maybe had a snarky one or a boring one or a silly one or, or whatever, but I could never land on one. So I was always creating new ones and reinventing myself or whatever. But once I read this book and for the rest of my life, my internet handle has been infinite Avenue. And it was a result of another quote in the book where they talk about this feeling of feeling infinite. And it's not really quite a feeling per se, but I get it. I understand it. And that's something I've been chasing in my life too, or or trying to create is those moments where you feel infinite. Like, and I think the closest word would be unity. And as I was rereading it again for our interview today, I was like, yes, that makes sense. There's this like oneness with the universe, but there's something interesting about saying, and in that moment, you know, I swear we were infinite. And Mm -hmm. so Charlie and I had really different lives. And again, totally understanding that this, this is a fictional character, but although we had different lives, we got to some of the same places because there were just certain like overlapping themes. And so when there's the great reveal at the end about what happened to Charlie when he was younger, I, I'll never forget. I was sitting on my grandma's bed because I was in high school and my dad was like in, in my room. And so I was in my grandma's room to try to get um, some privacy so I could just read and be quiet. And I just remember it felt like my world completely shifted. Like how I imagine, you know, maybe it's like to be on LSD or something and things are moving or whatever. But like, I, I just felt like my world shifted. And number one, I was just so shocked because I wasn't expecting that reveal but there was something deeply healing about it. And I I do actually believe that because of this book, it got me to foster care because I think it just woke me up to saying like our family motto is fucked and I can't be quiet anymore. I was absolutely Charlie. I, because of that motto, I was never allowed to have friends. I was never allowed to have any depth. I was never allowed to go anywhere. And so although foster care was a horrific experience, I'm so grateful for that because otherwise nothing would have changed. And when I came back, you know, almost a year later and my dad and grandma went through all the hoops they needed to go through to get me back, I, I was a different person and I lived for myself and I opened up to people. And so I started living my life by saying, you know what? And cause this was all I had at the time, I'm going to do everything opposite of my family. So if they're not open and connected with people, I'm going to do that. If they don't try new food, I'm going to do that. And it served me well for a long time, but now as an adult, I'm like, great, that worked then. And up until recently, but who do I get to be now outside of that compass? Because, you know, I, I want to just make my own decisions and not have it be a result of, I just need to do the opposites. I mean, mm-hmm. It's not just because I'm non-binary. I, I can believe in binaries, but <laughs> you know, I yeah, there were just so many things about him that I was like, wow, okay, I can be different and these things are good. And cause like because I could love these things about him, I could love these things about myself. And I'm literally having that re- like <laughs> realization right now as we're talking. And it doesn't get everything right either. I mean, it was absolutely like a sign of its time, like for when it was written. You know, there's things that I would like flag now as like, maybe don't say that, but I can love it as a time capsule for what it is. I think exactly what you just said is why it 
shook me so deeply when you said they flagged the books that you were reading because books were this for me too. And almost everybody I have talked to on the show said that they found some sort of comfort or solace or familiarity or opening up of what the world could be in a book. And to have that weaponized against a child absolutely breaks my heart because for so many of us, that was the only place we could find it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference, right? Is that even though we'll have social workers, therapists, all these different helping professions, it doesn't mean that they can't cause great harm. I mean, like I said, I've, I've been able to reclaim my love of reading. There's still sometimes I'm just like, ah, about it, but <laughs> most of the time I'm reading from the privacy of my home. And mm. honestly, I hope I can get to a place someday of not caring and mm-hmm. just like, whatever, like having a very obviously queer book or something that I'm reading in a, in a, I don't know, again, coffee shop or something and just not care if, if people see that. Which actually dovetails into my favorite character, which is, this is my mom's heart talking, which is Brad, the football player, because he's the one, I love these kids so much in this book, but I finished this book and I felt like everyone else is going to come out of this alive, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know about Brad and I'm, he broke my heart and I'm, I like, I'm genuinely worried about him <laughs> and I, I get that he's fictional, but yeah, it's the Brad's that I worry so much about because they, well, they're the ones who turn around and inflict so much damage you know, they become senators. <laughs> Brad's storyline is is really heartbreaking. And unfortunately, something that can still happen to kids today. So it's unfortunate. And yeah, that whole lunch scene then when he turns around and calls Patrick a faggot and then how like Charlie comes in and everything. It's just like, he really didn't have to do that. He really didn't have to do that, Brad. but. He was also trying to like save face with his buddies and everything. So it's just, yeah, it's, it still happens today. I mean, I, you know, we hear these stories about how the younger generations are just becoming so much more inclusive and so much more expansive in terms of gender and sexuality and stuff. But like these things still happen because not everywhere is, you know, safe. You know, there, there's still plenty of countries and things like that where it's still illegal and you're like hunted down for being gay or even suspected for being gay. So there's still so many brads out there and it's, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's, I think what's interesting too. And I'm so glad you brought that up is like, this book does a great job of talking about a wide range of topics that can impact kids and teens. And again, stuff that's still relevant today. Did it feel true to you or did it feel sort of like a fantasy version of high school students? Because I think that this book and The Fault in Our Stars, I always hear people my age and older criticizing them like teenagers don't talk like that. And I don't know. I think they do. I think Mm -hmm. it felt very, very real. And people who say this isn't how teenagers talk or think or act, I think they're just not around teenagers is my opinion. But I was not a teenager when it came out. So what what was your opinion when you were reading it? Did it feel like people you knew? 
Absolutely. And I had like a Sam in my life Mm. (laughs) and I I wish I had more Patrick's that would have been great, (laughs) but absolutely. Like it, it did feel true. I gravitated toward the outsiders in the theater kids, especially like musical theater kids. Yeah. I think we had a lot of those moments, like the excitement of just driving. We'd have like cheesy pop music playing that we were too embarrassed to let other people know that we listened to like Hanson or something and like Umbop and all of that. Right. And we just, you know, just having karaoke in the car and, and yeah, feeling infinite again, that like Mm -hmm. that feeling of just like, wow, I wish I could just stay in this moment forever because, you know, and again, like Charlie, I was always in my head. I mean, gosh, when I was walking the hallways, especially in high school, I was always thinking, always overthinking. And I didn't realize I was doing that to myself and wearing myself out. But absolutely, we had deep conversations. We had like the nerves and jitters about like, are we going to college? Where are we going? Does it matter where we go? Like, oh my God, how are we going to afford this? And all of it. Yeah, it felt absolutely real. And I, I think that's the thing is like, I had a knack of finding the adults who could treat me like another adult and respected mm-hmm. me as such. And that was great. And I think that's what I got from the teachers in particular. And I don't know, part of it is because they'd be like, you're like an old soul. And now I'm like, is that just code word for trauma? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I grew up fast because of trauma. I think there are those adults out there who just don't give teenagers credit for being insightful and and having those deeper conversations. And I think that's a shame because sometimes we're all we have. To to pretend that young people don't have these vast, complex minds is, is, is so condescending and so diminishing. And that's where like the idea of chosen family comes in. And I don't think that's specific to the LGBTQ plus community. I think there's plenty of ways that people have to create their their chosen family. And I think that's great. So tell me, what are you reading these days? Um, right now I'm reading Sissy by Jacob Tobiah. And I love it because they're also non-binary and use they, them pronouns. And again, even though we've had very different upbringings, there's just a lot of similarities there. And one of the things, I mean, they're just they're so smart. They're so funny. They're a little bit younger than me. And what I love is that they totally poke fun of this, like, again, quote unquote, trans narrative that exists of, well, I knew when I was young because of these toys and I wanted to wear this, but I couldn't. And, you know, like just completely poking fun at that. And, and really it can feel super performative because it's really this thing we can do sometimes for cisgender people just to say like, no, no, I knew all this time, but then it also discredits people who don't figure that out until later in life because maybe they don't have access to the language or whatever. And that, again, that's part of why this book was so good for me is because when I was in high school, we just weren't talking about these things. And it wasn't until after I came back from foster care and after I connected with Bridget, the teacher, that I was able to say, like, I actually stumbled into a GSA meeting. I awkwardly stumbled into it (laughs) and she was the advisor for it. And I had no idea what was going on at the time that I went in there. Again, it was just one of those things I was used to seeing teachers during the lunch hour, just popping in their class and being like, hey, I'm here. But she, she, I know that I, I heard from other people, she wanted me to come and find her. And so she knew I was okay and all that. And yeah, I walked right into a GSA meeting and 
and then it was just over. And so like, thank goodness for that, you know, like, cause because of her and talking about ways we could have safe sex and just all of this stuff without like the stigma. Cause she's also in, you know, health education. And so, yeah, it, it was just, it was so important. And if I didn't have that, I mean, God knows, cause it wasn't coming up in my other classes with the exception of my honors English class. And actually how my whole career started was because in my honors English class, there was someone in the back. I don't know. I was like sitting in the front or whatever. And there was someone like further in the back. I, I don't even know how we got on the topic of gay authors, which again was radical uh, for our, for that time. But I just remember a student saying being gay is a choice. And I was still figuring my shit out. Okay. I was still going through different labels and all of that and feeling pressure to come out with certain terms because other people were trying to put me into a box, but I was just like, no, it's not. And that was the first time I told my story publicly up till that point of what I had figured out about myself. And the teacher, Miss Roth, just like backed off and let me handle it. And I, you need to understand, I was this very shy and awkward baby, like sweet baby, angel, Chris Angel was just so shy and awkward. And so the fact that I was like standing up in front of this class and sharing my story in this way and and with such vulnerability, I mean, that was like really different for me, but it was really empowering and it felt really good. And then it's just been duplicated. Like I kept having to come out in classes because things like that would come up and I'm grateful for that. But yeah, I still think, I think that's why everything comes back to education for me because people again have this fear. It's like, we're going to teach these kids to be gay. And it's like, we're teaching them. It's okay. And it is okay. There's nothing wrong with them. It's great. It's lovely. Let's celebrate this. And also just like, have it not be a big deal anymore. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. It just can be as natural as like the sky is blue, you know, and it's just something that we know and it's, it's fine, but yeah, people still make a big deal out of it. So my hope, and I think part of what I've made to be my life's work, which ties into all the things I shared about earlier was that I'm, yeah, I'm protecting baby me's everywhere because mm-hmm. things are getting better. We are getting more rights and protections, although sometimes we go backwards, but overall, yeah, I don't want someone to have to worry about being tokenized in their place of work because mm-hmm. of the first person to come out with they them pronouns or something like that i just i want them to be comfortable bringing that part of themselves to their work and not have to do all of that work while they're also trying to still figure out maybe who they are and stuff like those are the people that um a lot of my work is is based on is like i just want it to be okay for them to come out should they want to but that Mm -hmm. there's zero pressure or expectation well This has been so wonderful talking to you, and I knew it would be, and I'm delighted (laughs) you joined me. And I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Will you tell my listeners all the places where they can find you and your work? For sure. And I I just want to quickly say, Julie, thank you so much for your time, your interest, your lovely and thoughtful questions, and for reading this book with me. As far as where folks can find me, my main website is chrisangelmurphy.com. I've also got gendersexuality.info. So for those in the States, 
just various LGBTQ plus resources to look into. It also links to my Etsy shop and the Allyship is a Verb podcast, which is almost everywhere. You may listen to podcasts should you want to try that out. I'm not really sure what other social media I'm going to be on, but I am currently the most active on Instagram at gender sexuality info. Who do you recommend your podcast for? Is it for people who don't know how to talk to the LGBTQ community and want to learn? Or is it for people who are already active and want to learn more? Or who's your target audience for that? Oddly enough, the biggest demographic that's been listening to the podcast so far is LGBTQ plus community itself. Mm. Because there's so many different, again, like terms and labels and things like that, that you know, we can absolutely be allies to each other within the community. Mm. And I think it's important that we do that and know what different terms and, and things mean. But other than that, yeah, I think it's just like really open as far as wherever you're at on your journey. If you want to be more intentional and listen to people's stories and again, just have tips to think about, and especially those self-reflection questions, I think almost anyone who's just curious enough could get something deep from it. And I, I think what's also special is that a lot of it isn't necessarily specific to the LGBTQ plus community. A lot of it is like I started out with a lot of different tools and things that people could use to learn even how to like apologize to each other or how to have crunchy conversations. And what does a crunchy conversation mean? Yeah. So crunchy conversations is just my favorite way of saying like challenging or difficult conversations. Okay. I don't know where I, like I picked that. that up, but I picked that up somewhere and I keep using it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But yeah, so I, I think that's what's interesting. And again, it's just highlighting that when you listen to these people's stories, we are super different. We do need different things or want different things. And like, I learn a great deal as well as I'm, I'm interviewing folks. And so, yeah, I think, I think just yeah, anyone who's interested, including folks from the community, I think there's a lot to learn from it. And it's possible you may see yourself in some of those stories too, which I think can be neat. If I can just share out one more last quick tip. Yeah. It's that the platinum rule and anyone who listens to me like knows that I just share about this anywhere and everywhere. But for folks who are not familiar with it, a lot of us have been taught the golden rule, treat others the way that you want to be treated. But I think even as I've sort of talked about in our conversation today, we don't all want to be treated the same way. And so rather the platinum rule, which I believe was created in the 70s, says treat others the way that they want to be treated. And like you just mentioned your little shift, that little shift has made all the difference for me because instead now I'm listening to what other people need and not just like blanket treating them with, with how I would want to be treated. Just acknowledging that, again, not everyone's going to want that. So Mm -hmm. for whatever it's worth, I hope that people can find that to be a helpful tool because it's made all of the difference in my life as well. That's so good. Yes, I am all for sharing tools and resources because life is hard enough. So if we can find some ways to make it a little bit easier and and take care of each other, I'm all for it. Mm, Amen. Thank you so much. It has been really great talking to you. Likewise, thank you so much, Julie. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. 
You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. If you'd like to hear more from this week's guest, become a patron of the Best Book Ever podcast. For about the cost of a latte, you'll get exclusive interview clips, monthly book roundups, and curated reading lists. Go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash bestbookever to learn more. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. I just want to keep talking to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, open invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.